0: history of mankind, there's been a a bright red speck of light in the night sky called Mars. For the last few hundred years, we've known that it's a planet, a place more or less like our own, a world in its own right. embarrassment here for science is that you are, you are seeking to unearth a natural fact by way of the humanistic evidence, which is to say you're bringing together a synthesis of different kinds of knowledge. We should go boldly where man has not gone before. Fly by the comets, visit asteroids, visit the moon of Mars, there's a monolith. They're a very unusual structure on this little potato-shaped object that that goes around Mars once in seven hours. When people find out about that, they're going to say, who put that there? One of the things you'll notice is that there appears to be an 18-mile crater called Ukurt. If you were standing in Ukurt at the right moment and looking directly overhead, there would be the Earth. At the closest point on the Moon to Earth, there is a crater with an equilateral triangle marking its interior, the symbol we have decoded from the monuments of Mars. It was this symbol which basically focused our attention on this region. Because in the idiom that someone has been in the solar system long before, that someone has left a series of monuments or structures or artifacts designed to tell us something. A time has come where we are reaching the end of a cycle. And the intelligent, civilized, advanced, thoughtful, caring, knowledgeable, compassionate human being is facing a future. A door is being opened for them to an infinite reality out there. And we have got to be prepared to go through that
1: door not ready yet. ...national sovereignty, unless of course the idea is they're trying to con everybody and then take it all back in another dark way. But I just wonder, is that people's paranoia? I mean, what do you think?
2: Well, did you remember Elon's comment when he talked about uh, the population? He said, I think it's too little, because if we're going to go to Mars, we're going to need a lot more people.
1: Um,
0: Yeah, so most people in the world are operating under the false impression that that, that there are too many people. this is not true. Earth could maintain a population many times as the current level. And the birth rate has been dropping like crazy. Unfortunately, like, we have these like ridiculous uh, uh, population estimates from the UN that need to be updated because they just don't make any sense. <laughs>
2: if we're gonna go to Mars, we're gonna need a lot more people. Elon wants to get off planet for some reason. I think he knows what's on Mars. I think he understands the the, the opportunity that lays on Mars. I think we all understand that we probably came from Mars. Dude, you just opened <laughs> We're what? Two hours and 40 minutes in, <laughs> and you want to open up the
1: Mars basket? Okay, Josh, let's plan this right now, okay? Because I, I want to do this one. Let's do a show on this. On Mar- I would oh, love dude, to do yeah. it on the on the Mars on the moon shit. Like what's on the moon? Let's do that show as a separate show because there's already too much here. But well, no, that opens well, so, well, up let, another can of worms. It does. Welcome everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, my name is David Whitehead. We are simulcasting on all of my Truth Warrior Live channels. So welcome to everybody that's tuning in on the Foxhole, Rockfin, D Live, and Twitch. And we are also casting on the Red Pill Project channels. I'm super stoked for this, Josh. I'm so glad <laughs> we're doing this. We just whipped this together inside of a week after we did a show a week ago on serpent cults and ancient serpent symbolism, which was a really good show. And in the end, you dropped the bomb about Mars and it just triggered my mind. And I went, dude, I have so much research on this. I've been collecting it for a long time. This is this sort of subject matter is right up my alley. I love this subject. There's so many theories. Everybody's got their ideas. Um, And what I just want to say before you do your intro is that I'm hoping that everybody that's tuning in, is going to come in, come into this with an open mind and, you know, just everybody's kind of rooted in how they see things, how they see the world, the universe, what's really going on. Um, And in this thing, we're just going to explore all of it. And we kind of threw this together, but it's really started to turn into something that I think people are really curious about. I think we're all sick and tired of talking about COVID and Ukraine and all this other stuff. So let's get into human origins. What's going on? Is it an infinite universe teeming with life? I think so. Um, I know everybody's got their position, but what do you think, Josh, what's your thoughts? What's your intro to this epic saga that you and I are going to go on in the series?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. I've wanted to do a series like this for a very long time. We're not going to just limit this to Mars. We're going to talk about the moon. We're going to talk about other aspects of this that really tie in as parallels. Now, in the sense of origins of, of life, um, when I was getting out of the military, I had some questions. One of the questions I had, I was going for an eye exam and I I, I had this thought, I'm like, you know, I'm walking into the doctor's office and I'm looking up in the sky and I'm like seeing a bird fly by. I'm seeing a dog walk by and the dog is unfazed by the bright sun. The bird was unfazed by the bright sun. But then I saw a gentleman with a hat on. I saw a lady with sunglasses on and I'm squinting at the sun and I'm like, if we evolved on this planet, why did evolution make a mistake when it came to our eyes adjusting to the sunlight, as well as our skin adjusting to the sunlight? It started to make no sense. So I asked the uh, the eye doctor, and I said, well, what are your thoughts on this? And she said, well, it, it sounds like human beings just grew up wearing hats. And I said, that's that's a pretty dumb answer, right? And you know, then I started looking into it, and really what they come out and say is that, um caucasian human beings grew up mainly in wooded forest areas in very very low dim sunlight um geographic areas kind of like in the northern territories and i said okay well if that's the case then then any animal that grew up in a wooded area in the northern territories should have the same evolutionary characteristics they don't they all are unfazed by the sun None of them are affected by sunlight in the sense that it's too bright and they squint and they can't see. And I said, we're not from this planet. We didn't evolve on this planet. And so this was you know, a while back and I-, I started looking into these origins like, what if we're from somewhere else? What if we were dropped off here? What if, what if we really were created like some people suspect in the sense of genetic modification Um, anything is possible in this day and age anything is possible in this world but now this brings about the question of mars and in the early 20th century we know that there was multiple different people including um, nikola tesla um, who were proposing that supposedly um, he 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 had communication with Mars that he created an antenna that was picking up some strange signals. He determined through his math that those signals were coming from Mars. And if Nikola Tesla says that he's picking up signals from Mars, he's probably picking up signals from Mars and that they're trying to communicate with him. And he communicated supposedly with them. Not only that, as we have the the cat, the canals on Mars, which were discovered in the late 1800s, 1870, 1880, which people proposed that these canals were um, were man made, and that you know they even proposed making canals similar to the ones on Mars here on Earth, and geometric patterns, and filling them with oil and lighting them on fire to signal to the people on Mars to try to communicate with them. Like that's how ingrained this is in our history, in the sense that in just the 19th and 20th century, they truly did believe there was a civilization on Mars, and you got to ask yourself why.
1: Well, that's what we're trying to answer. And wow, you've already unpacked so much. And when you started talking about that, even though I know there's many theories as to why we can answer those or how we can answer those questions, I think what I've tried to do, and I know you've done the same, is for many years, I've looked at a lot of different puzzle pieces, just stuff that was from my own curiosity. And I don't know why certain subject matter just absolutely resonated with me, got me excited, made me think, you know, I, I just love that stuff and other stuff didn't. And I don't know why other people might come at the same theory or book that I read and go, Oh, I, I just the devil. We don't want to talk about that. I don't know what that is, but I don't, I'm just here to go, look, I'm an explorer like everybody else. I don't have all the answers, but there are some real researchers and some awesome links and sources that I want to throw at you guys in this series. I know Josh has, has some as well. And we are. I know what's going to happen, Josh, is this is a very organic thing. Yes, I prepared some slides and some links and I threw a video together, but that's it. The rest is going to happen by way of this conversation and by way of the feedback that we get from our audience. And we also are going to try to look at some some big guests to bring in to add weight to this. And who knows where this series can go? I don't know. Maybe it's going to be three chapters. Maybe it's going to be 20. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's all up to you guys. So if you guys share this out and you love it and you're interested in this type of stuff, uh, please help us get the word out. I was thinking, I mean, I've got a few books around here. I started with people like Emmanuel Velikovsky, who of mm-hmm. course was uh, one of the most attacked scientists of the 20th century for coming out and basically just turning the tables of mainstream science on, on the, on the on the back of it and just saying, well, I think that there were massive catas or what do they call Catastrophes. it? Catastrophes, Catastrophes in our solar system that affected the earth that are re- the reason why when you go into these old myths and legends, literally all over the world. And I think that was covered. Yeah. That's covered in his first main book, which I got somewhere around here, worlds in collision. He gets yep. into the ancient mythology and rolls that out and he was criticized for rolling out the mythology first. Because the scientists, of course, they need to see the peer-reviewed journals and all the mathematics and all the data, which is great. But they attacked him so viciously that it was so unbelievable. I feel like he was ahead of his time in even just proposing a theory to explain other things. He's since been vindicated on a lot of his predictions. He might not have been right about everything. We can't expect that. But he made a lot of points that actually still to this day puzzle the top scientists in these departments. And then he wrote a second book, which was Earth and Earth and Upheaval, where he goes through the science of his time. Now, there have been others that have picked up on it. I have a few slides about him and I could do a whole thing just on Velikovsky. But that was just a place for me that went, all right, maybe what we're hearing from astrophysics and mainstream science and archaeology and mythology and all these departments, um, they're missing some major pieces. And the major piece they're missing is ancient cataclysm. and. So we're not making the series about ancient cataclysm, we're making the series about Mars, which if you factor in the fact, it's something that something happened in our solar system that changed the order of our entire solar system and then changed how this earth uh, operates, changed the axis of the earth and has now affected our history ever since that point. And you've got boatloads in every language around the world and the oldest texts available of people talking about these pole shift type events fire raining from the sky, all kinds of incredible cat floods, cataclysms, it's yep. everywhere. And you just got to sit back and go, well, that means there's still a mystery here. And then I went into these other books, you know, the Mars mystery, you get into all these just amazing books and, and things that will get you thinking, all right, are there artifacts on Mars? Are there um, artifacts even on the moon? Was there something going on in our solar system uh, that is actually quite plausible if you really think about it, because right now a lot of mainstream science and your NASA types and all your astronomers, you know, that come from the Carl Sagan camp are coming from the perspective that we pretty much live in a dead universe. I mean, they they believe there's life out there, but they don't, they look at our section of the solar system as, oh, we're just kind of cordoned off and, you know, there's nothing else really going on. You're not going to see anything in your lifetime. That's why we never get messages through SETI Institute and all that. And it's like, well, there's evidence to the contrary, and this is mm-hmm. the stuff that I like to speculate on. So, definitely, lots of fun stuff that we can share with people. But any points on Velikovsky? Did you get? When did you get into him? And and what do you think about what he was talking about?
2: I, I read it in high school, um, and I actually had the book upstairs. I haven't touched it in a long time, um, but I got reintroduced to Velikovsky when I started watching um, a documentary called "The Electric Universe" or "Thunderbolt of the Gods." And they utilized Velikovsky a lot in there in the sense that they had discovered various sun and um, plasma symbology utilized in the ancient world, 20,000, 30,000 years, 15,000 years, 12,000 years ago. And what they were trying to say is that something was happening in the atmosphere of Earth or above Earth in the sky that was massive. It was electrical in nature. Um, it looked like plasma or what's called Birkeland currents, and that the sun had an enhanced corona around it, um, and that this is what people were trying to depict within their symbology. Um, now, they, they proposed that something had happened either with Velikovsky, Venus is an asteroid that was captured by the sun, it passed by a few of the planets, wrecked havoc, created the asteroid belt destroyed Mars potentially, and then knocked earth off of its axis, And then finally rested in the place that it's in, it rotates backwards, which is the only planet that does that. It doesn't really make sense. Um, and he said if this was the case and you had an asteroid that big that would eventually formulate into a planet is that it would create massive electrical disturbances within the atmosphere or within the, the sky. Um, and he, in Velikovsky, I believe, as well as the people behind the Thunderbolts of the Gods documentary, this is what they propose as the mass cataclysm that happened uh, that would have brought about the flood. And I've always kept that in the back of my mind because I, I actually think that the electric universe theory is very very um uh, more prominent than the current nuclear sun theory that we have Uh, everything in our universe is devised of electrical processes everything from the the conception of a human embryo of when the sperm actually integrates into it you know did you know this is that when they tried to do artificial insemination um, for the first times, they would take an, em- an embryo and they would take a sperm and they would try to get the sperm to, to go into the embryo. And when it did, nothing happened. And so they studied a little bit further and they found out that you needed a jolt of electricity to cause it to happen. And that when the sperm actually enters the embryo, there's a flash of light legit. Yeah. And so the electrical processes are inherent to all life and to everything in the universe. And so to think that our universe is like this nuclear fuel thing, it just really doesn't make sense to me. So I think Velikovsky was definitely onto something, but we have to look at cultural aspects of how they play into science during that time, um, storytelling during that time. And then we have to look at what we know now since then.
1: Right. Cause there's limited, he's getting the data that he saw. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
1: but I think I'm like that too. We have to look at these people and go, what information did they have what's the context like you said where were they going with it and then you got to go well he was on to something because a lot of his predictions came true and it it changes everything about our cosmology and i like mavericks like that because they really make you think and it's not like he was just some yahoo coming out he was highly respected Mm uh he's he was there giving a lot of presentations right beside carl sagan so he was known he just they pushed him to the side and they didn't teach him in school because they're like, oh, we debunked everything using our computer models. And it's like, OK, whatever. But um, as you're on that subject, Josh, this is something I want to open up with, because here's the thing. When people like you and I come onto to the show and talk about this subject, we're going to come up against everybody's. Uh, I even just the cosmology, the way people see everything. Um, it seems to be that there's a return in the idea over the past 10 years of the fact that we're actually alone in the universe the earth is only 6,000 years old. It's like, we're going back to this again. And that, uh, there is no way for us to get off planet because of the Van Allen belt, which is a thing that we can definitely look into the different theories about that. And that, um, you know, we had the whole rise of the whole flat earth space is fake. You know, you've talked, you've had debates on your show. I've discussed this for a while. I don't want to make this a big digression, but I just want to let people know that from my perspective, I'm only coming and I don't know, nobody really does, but I'm coming from the basic premise. My premise of the way that I view reality is that just as we are not, I am not the only human being on the planet. Uh, I don't believe that we are the only beings, sentient, intelligent beings that have produced a civilization in our universe. I do not believe that we are, uh, you know, just living in, a, in some kind of experiment. I think that, or I'm not even totally into the whole simulation theory, even though I know we have to digress into that word and the terminology and what it means to certain people. Um, I look at it from the going back to the the more hermetic, ominous, druidic way of understanding Mm -hmm. that nature is an expression of what we call God and that we are not the only bits of creation and that it's quite arrogant for us to think that and that there is a lot of reasons why we might think that, and it does pertain, in my opinion, to the layers of traumatized psychology that we carry within our phylogenetic race memory, which would be why we would even be wanting to entertain a theory that somehow we're alone, we're the only ones, we're the special ones, the whole thing. And it's like, I've got a few things to come at just from a different perspective, and I don't want to insult anybody that believes those things, I just want to say I'm coming from the perspective that we live in an infinite universe teeming with life. That is my premise, you can agree or disagree, But that is where I'm going to be presenting in this series from. And you're free to come to your own conclusions. Did you have any little points on that?
2: Um, I I would agree with 99% of that. Um, The part that, uh, well, I would say that we live in a finite system that is infinite in perspective. And infinite in its fractal nature. Um, When we start breaking things down. And I think there's an infinite amount of those systems that are in existence. So kind of a multi-universe Theory is my perspective, as well as I think that this universe is teeming with life. Not only that universe, but also our solar system. Um, I've I've heard stories of people who say that each planet represents a different dimensional plane, in the sense where each planet in the universe is inhabited, just all on various dimensional planes of density.
1: That's really fast. And actually, thank you for, cause I'm with you on that in, when I say infinite universe, I know the word universe, right? right. Uh, we can get into all the digressions, but it's really ending up to be the same concept for me personally. So, uh, people, you let us know what you think, but just to crystallize this point, I just have three quick quotes from somebody that, well, it's from Giordano Bruno. I want to bring him up. He was somebody, I, I got these quotes when I heard a presentation probably in like the year 2000 by, um, Robert O. Dean, Bob Dean, who passed away a few years ago. He did many presentations, worked the circuit. He had a lot of inside classified information at his disposal. He was one of those guys that when he would go to these conferences and speak about this information, about the government cover up, about uh, the UFO subject, about the planetary situation, ancient history, he brought a lot of positivity to his work. So those that those people out there that don't know about Bob Dean, go look it up. You can still find him on YouTube and other platforms. But he brought these quotes up and they changed my life. So I'm just going to bring them up real quick. Love to get your thoughts on them. This one is very his first one off the gate here where Giordano Bruno, he was a Dominican monk that was uh, imprisoned and then executed by the Vatican. (laughs) So that just kind of tells you who, who was up, who didn't like what he had to say. He said this, God is infinite. So his universe must be too. Thus is the excellence of God magnified and the greatness of his kingdom made manifest. He is glorified not in one, but in countless suns, not in a single earth, a single world, but in a thousand thousand, I say, an infinity of worlds. And then the next one here, he says, it is a proof of a base and low mind for one to wish to think that the masses or majority merely because the majority is the majority Truth does not change because it is or is not believed by a majority of the people. And I just threw that one in there just in, mm-hmm. in uh, reverence to Emmanuel Velikovsky and many of the other maverick thinkers and scholars who've come out about different theories who've just been you know, cast aside and, and then the majority believes a certain thing and everybody thinks that's the truth. Only here we are to find out that usually the majority is wrong in history. And then the last one, this was the one that I've put on my mantle. I've had it here for many years. I love it. It says innumerable suns exist. Innumerable Earths revolve about these suns in a manner similar to the way the seven planets revolve around our sun and living beings inhabit these worlds. You just got to think about a man of his time, right? A man of, I mean, when was he? 1600s was when they finally killed him. You know that he was even able to conceive of this as an idea. I mean, I still walk into people today, and I start talking about, you know, some of this out of out of the box stuff, and they can't even handle it. And here we are in 2022, where you'd think it's easy enough for people to understand. When you just look up at the sky, when you just understand everything, that for us to sit back and think that we're the only ones, or that. You know, there, there isn't an, uh, much more potential for the creator or the creative force of this universe to diversify its creation. It's only centering on a little tiny speck of dot at the outer ridge of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, I don't I just don't believe it. But uh, anything. Did you, you obviously know who Giordano Bruno is? You come across these before?
2: Yeah, he was uh, killed by the church as a, a, a heretic, wasn't he? Oh, your volume just went
1: I'm on my mute. There we go. Yes, go. he was. He was. Uh, I think they stapled his tongue into a fence and then they burned him alive or something, you know, just like the good old Vatican the well, loving another, Christians over there.
2: Yeah. Another truth or another uh, another quote to throw in there is truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second it is violently opposed. And third it is accepted as self-evident. And that's important to remember, especially with the information we're talking about, because we might seem as heretics. We might seem like we're far out there in our theories and our conceptualizations. But understand that David and I have had decades of research into a lot of these topics that we're talking about. We've looked at tons of various evidence. We've seen other people who are researchers go about and we've looked at their evidence. And so when we come about with some type of of theory or even maybe a a, a speculation or an idea or whatever it might be on a lot of this stuff. um, I urge people out there to just go out there and look into it themselves, go out there and research it themselves, go out there and don't believe anything we say, but instead go out there and validate it through your own volition.
1: I love that. That's the whole premise, guys. We're not here to force any dogma on you. This is just, these are all my notes. This is where I come from and I hope it inspires you to check it out. Uh, The next bit, I think, would be a good place to introduce this thing would be to talk about the mythology a little bit, the Greek pantheon and and whatnot. So I had just a kind of a basic overview of the god Mars coming from the Roman perspective, uh, just for people, you know, just to give you a little bit of context here. So Mars was, of course, the Roman god of war. He was the son of Juno and Jupiter. And as the word Mars uh, has no Indo-European deviation, it is most likely Latinized from the agricultural Etruscan god Maris. Initially the Roman god of fertility and vegetation and a protector of cattle, fields and boundaries, Mars later became associated with the battle, with battle and identified with the Greek god Ares. He was also a tutelary god of Rome and as the legendary father of its founder Romulus, it was believed that all Romans were descended of Mars. One of the most recognizer epithets is Mars Altar, which translates in Latin to Mars the Avenger. (laughs) The Roman senator Tacitus compared Mars to the Anglo-Saxon god too. And then to follow up on that, I just want to show you something from uh, my good friend Michael Tessarian's book Atlantis, Alien Visitation and Genetic Manipulation. Go get the Kindle version. I highly recommend. I don't think he does the print anymore. I do have the print one. But one thing about Michael is he goes and he updates his books on a regular basis. So it's a living kind of research that he just keeps compiling all this stuff he's been looking at. And he had an interesting bit here uh, that will segue actually to anybody that listened to the recent episode that I did with Michael on serpent symbolism. Where he's saying, here's a painting depicting Queen Mary. King Philip of Spain, and Mars, the god of war. One of the most important symbols of Mars is the sword. And he's basically just saying, you know, think about it. Knighthoods are bestowed with the sword, and it is a common symbol in royal heraldry. It is also to be found on Masonic decorations and emblems. And so that's just a little, I wanted to give that, because it's talking about the Mars symbolism. And for those that have been getting into our research on the cult of the medics and in the snake serpent surpli- symbolism cult and getting into the chivalric equestrian orders that are adherence to the vatican and the setian Atanus from egypt it's all there in their symbolism and the way they craft it is that mars is the war like god that is the one so when you're getting knighted into a knightly chivalric order you are being brought into the cult of mars in their view and they have their own versions of mars in their little pantheon but. I thought that was interesting. And then uh, one more that he had here, he's got in his book Atlantis, he has some of his favorite lyrics from different rock songs and heavy metal. This one was from Lemmy from Motorhead. This is just some lyrics there where it says, I hold a banner drenched in blood. I urge you to brave. I lead you to your destiny. I lead you to your graves. Your bones will build my palaces. Your eyes will stud my crown for I am Mars, the god of war and I will cut you down. And you just look at that and you say, man, this motif, this particular way of looking at at these myths, at these goddess, God and goddess church traditions, these different legends have filtered into every aspect of our culture. And I think a lot of these musicians, a lot of these rock bands were actually trying to tell you some of this encoded history and even some of the stuff about these secret societies that know all about it. So anyways, I just thought I'd give a little context, but what do you think about that, Josh?
2: Yeah, I I think you're right. And I think there's two variations of how that happens. Either one is ordained and indoctrinated into the knowledge or the other aspect of it is that it's buried so psychologically deep within our psyche through past lives that it comes about through innovation and creativity. And you know, the picture that you showed of Mars of the king and the queen and then Mars, it was interesting because if you notice, Mars isn't holding a sword, he's holding a club. Now, in mythology, when we go back to other types of gods or goddesses of war or chaos, one comes to mind. Now, Tiamat, people are mentioning this earlier, is the 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 god of the salty seas who married her primordial waters with the Apsu, right, to create all of man. This is the Sumerian creation story. She was destroyed by Marduk, by a club. He split her head open with a club. So I found it interesting that 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 parallel was actually there, that Mars was carrying a club. Now, the whole Tiamat story in the sense of mythology is something that I've looked into greatly the past few months because I'm building the Slave Matrix, um, and I've been obviously investigating the Brotherhood of the Serpent. I've been investigating a few of these other cults. The Mystery Babylon has been one of my primary focuses because this is kind of the the, the religion of what these people believe. And there's been this kind of story that is being created in my mind. When I look at these things, when you look at the occult, when you look at esoteric mysteries, when you look at mythology, um, I was explaining this last night in one of our chats. is that everybody looks at information through a filter we are all indoctrinated to a certain limitation of mind. We have our own beliefs, we have our own experiences, our own education, indoctrinations, and those are the filters that we look through. Um, A Christian researcher is going to look at things from a varying Christian's perspective, usually derived from the cultural origins of their time. So when you have a 17th century Christian theologian going out there and researching the Mayan and Aztec ruins, he's going to interpret it Very much similar in the sense of Christian context with his language and his understanding of the world at this time, his cultural attributes are all going to be added in there. Not only that, is if we take mythology, for instance, um, and and a lot of these occult stories, the Bible, the Abrahamic religions and the Vedic mythology, all these different things, and we start looking at them in the context of their story, what we see is there's massive parallels through millennia that they, it's like the same story repeating over and over again, except it's changed a little bit every thousand years. And the change really drives this aspect of cultural attributes that are put into it, right? Like farmers are telling the stories to other farmers right? Because agriculture is big in the Fertile Crescent. And so what they do is they put knowledge of farming and agriculture, knowledge of the suns and the seasons into these ancient stories they were told for thousands and thousands of years to keep the story moving on, but also keep its significance within their culture. And so when I look at mythology, when I look at occultism, esotericism, I try to remove the commonalities. I try to remove those things that are similar amongst or not, non-similar amongst the cultures. I, like when we're talking about um, Aries or Mars and how, you know, obviously the god of uh, agriculture and growth and all these things. You, you pull that all out of there. Anything that has to do with an anthropomorphication of significance. Um, they remove the movements of the stars and the suns. I, I start to just move that away. And I start to look at a different context and relate the stories throughout time. To each other and pull out those commonalities and this is where the magic really happens because what i'm formulating right now david is we have it all wrong we have it all freaking wrong and hollywood has been telling us we've had it wrong for a very long time and they've been throwing it in our face especially when it comes to mars um the story of Tiamat, I believe that Michael talks about this. Michael Tessarian talks about Tiamat and how Tiamat and a few other people talk about Tiamat was this planet that existed now where the asteroid belt is between Mars and Jupiter. And somehow, some way it was destroyed, whether it was in a battle or it was taken out by a a collision. I don't know. And then basically it formed rocks of salt water and they bombarded the earth or, or whatnot. Um, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I've been finding a lot of information, especially in the Enuma Elish and other types of Sumerian research to show that there wasn't a planet there, that this was Mars. That Mars, think about this, pale white skin obviously derived from a much, much cooler climate where the sun rays weren't as hot. What if humanity originated from Mars? And think about this when you start reading the Numa Elish, which is the creation story that has parallels to the story of Genesis, okay, the creation story of the Sumerians. It talks about Tiamat mating with the Apsu. Okay. The Apsu being the two various primordial seas, one of freshwater, one of salt water, right? And then what happens is, is they kill Absu, and Tiamat rages war with them. And they battle back and forth, and they destroy parts of Tiamat and her lesser gods, and they kill them that are sitting within their domain or territory. Eventually, what happens is the, the son of Ea, who's also Enki, who's by the name is Marduk, who's the, uh, the king of Babylon during the time, he is basically picked by all the lesser gods to go out there. Now, before this happens, this comes after a great battle. Tiamat, and I got... I don't think I need to my sheen, but I my share my screen, but I want to read this. Tiamat hath made in addition, or half made in addition, weapons invisible. She hath spawned monster serpents, sharp of tooth and merciful in fang, with poison instead of blood. She hath filled their bodies, fierce monster vipers, she hath clothed with terror, with splendor, she hath decked them, hath made them lofty stature. Whoever beholdeth them is overcome by terror. Their bodies rear up and none can withstand their attack. She have set up vipers and dragons and monsters, lahamu and hurricanes and raging hounds and scorpion men. They're talking about a weapon that Tiamat utilized that's invisible, okay, that's filled with poison, okay? Now,
1: let's think about
2: That serpent, so think about this, but the serpents were in the sky, David. That's right. The serpents were in the sky. Think about a weapon launched from a spacecraft orbiting Earth. It would be almost invisible because of its fast speed. It could be filled with, uh, it could be a nuclear weapon. It could be a biological weapon. It's a poison instead of blood. But think about this. What what they're talking about is Tiamat, whoever this Tiamat aspect is. And I think Tiamat is a, a broader understanding of the two various planets. Now, in throughout mythology, we have this aspect of twins that is overlaid over and over and over again. Right. And Tiamat gave birth to Lamu and Lahamu. Okay. Now this is interesting because we also have an ancient history and these stories are really hard to find and come by in mythology of Atlantis and Lumeria, where the Lemurian people were known as the people of the Mu. So, and they went to battle with each other and destroyed each other. So it's the same type of context because we have Tiamat and Marduk battling where Marduk destroys, rips her in half, captures her in a net, in a net. And, and anybody, and, and it even says in here, Every uh, All of Tiamat's um, gods escaped to the skies oh, and wow. they caught them in their net. So if we take away 8,000, 10,000, 12,000, 15,000 years of the game of telephone with this story, we can start seeing that what if what this really was is humanity maybe began on Mars, colonized Earth. Earth rose up and revolted and said, nah, we're done being your slaves from Mars. And they killed the leader, Absu, on Earth. Tiamat, Mars, comes back and says, what the hell are you guys doing? We're going to rage war The War breaks out. Mars comes about and completely decimates Earth. Earth has a special weapon. They go out, they fly their spacecraft to Mars, and they it's a planet killer. They destroy the whole planet. The remaining civilization on Mars comes to earth the tribes of israel the hebrews i start thinking about it it starts getting that wheel turning the Aryan people in in uh, the indus valley Aryan, aries both words have no nor- known origin
1: it's interesting man i mean that's the thing is that when we look at it there's m- multiple ways to look at the story and i like that we're doing that and it's like when you're For anybody who thinks it's far out or for anybody that wants to stick with only one theory, it is always helpful to look at multiple points on the same bulletin board. You know, we're like the guy in the memes with the red thread connecting and just trying to figure out what it is because, of course, we're dealing in mystery. We're dealing with thousands of years of, like you said, mythology, game of telephone, multiple ways to interpret it. But to those people that only look at these mythological texts as being just myth, they're just anthropomorphized discussions about what the planets are doing, that is there for sure, but it doesn't explain all of it because we need something in the real world to even trigger the need to create a story about it. And then we find other elements to weave in to that initial experience. So I think there was initial experiences that were very real. And these myths and legends are not just a bunch of flowery language encoding all these deep mysteries, that is the layer because that's how ancient peoples wrote. They wrote for both the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere because trauma has changed even the way we think and has even changed our structures of, of thought throughout time. So that's why this is really key. When you look at these myths and legends, they might have experienced something, something, right? We're kind of speculating as to what it could be, but it's something happened. Now we've got physical evidence of these monuments all over the place. Guys, there's monuments all over this planet on both the surface and at the bottom of the oceans, that they can't, we still can't build today. We don't build. Where's the pyramid? Show me. Where's the Kaliza temple? Where they actually dug, they took a mountain, okay? And they built an entire sophisticated temple that could not be recreated today, even if we did it with Plato. And yet there it is, right? And it's just amazing. So I know there's multiple readings of all this. Another theory on what you're saying is to interpret it this way, which is how, a lot like uh, I think it's Alan and Delaire wrote a book. There were top, you know, professors in this. And they they were talking about this. I think Sitchin mentioned some of this stuff, but they were talking about it as the planet Tiamat was destroyed, it it rained down, and then that process affected. If you bring in Velikovsky, that process affected the position of everything going on in our solar system. And through that situation, through that transition we now have the situation that we do. And the question would be, is Mars Tiamat or was Tiamat something that affected Mars and started that process and then we were brought here or even our, this is the Noah's Ark theory, it wasn't on Earth, it was something that it was bringing genetic samples to a place where, where life could grow, just like we would do if, if the Earth started to die, this is the story you're gonna get. Oh, the Earth is dying, we don't have enough room, not enough resources. If a solar flare hits, we're totally screwed then what would we do as humans? We would be looking for another planet to call home. As All the movies are talking about it. Elon, everybody's talking about it. And so you think, well, what if there was cataclysm in the ancient past? Are those all stories of stuff happening on Earth? Could mm-hmm. some of those stories be brought here as a story that came when people came here and is given to us, you know, or were there visitors that came? You know, there's so many different places to go. You've opened up a total can of worms, which I love. And it would take multiple episodes to break it down. But we're
2: well, lucky we're gonna have multiple episodes. To we break are down. <laughs> and that's why we're doing
1: multiple episodes. So I just wanted to pull up. So if we this is so, guys, we're just kind of laying out a few points that we're gonna be weaving into this to just put everything on the table. We're setting the table right now. Okay. Right after we did that show, Josh, I was contacted by the gentleman that created the website secretsofmars.com. He's an author. Mm-hmm. His name is Michael Craig, and he wrote a book called Secret Mars. This guy is, he's from Britain, sharp as a tack, very eloquent. I had a lovely chat with him. He wanted to do a private chat and just show me his research. And he gave me permission to show it up here. So I just want to quickly direct people to his site because he's been collecting just on the level of trying to figure out anomalies on Mars, okay? And some of these photographs and all of that. And so he's got, he's calling it Mars archaeology. And he found it very interesting. He's like, there is no Mars archaeology because obviously we're just there and allegedly we got rovers on there, but the idea is we've got lots of pictures and why was there such a visceral reaction against the idea that Hoagland and many others brought out that there were actual structures on Mars, the Mm -hmm. famous face of Mars, the DNM pyramid, you've got that whole region of Cydonia, many of which actually lines up to the geometry of the Giza plateau and, and then all these just weird things. And so he's got, you can go in here guys you can go in, uh, look, he's got Mars papers. This is a really key one. So these are scientific papers that are ongoing that I hadn't been following this, but he's been collecting it. And you can go in and look at all these, you know, evidence for large anomalous nuclear explosions in Mars in the past. This is Brandenburg. I'm saving that for later. Uh, Mounds of Sidonia, elegant geology and tetrahedral geometry and reactions of Pythagoras and Dir- Dirac. Um, you know, the three-sided pyramid formation, in the Western region of the Kandor Chasma. And it's just, this will give you the actual studies that are being done on the photographs, on the evidence, on the rocks, the, the asteroid sampling that they have. I think we've been hit by, I don't know how many tons. There's how many tons of Mars debris that they pick up all over all the time and they analyze it. Um, So I just want to show you guys that website secrets, secretmars.com, And you will just find yourself. You got, there's documentaries in here. There's all the images. You can just go through the actual images from the different landers and you get all the details on it. So I just love the man for collecting everything in one place. And he was of the same mind of, we just need to start putting this out there and having this conversation. And just like so many other things we've seen with all this medical pandemic COVID stuff, do you see, did everybody see and take notes about how the scientific establishment treated heretical medical experts? Are we, are we getting, I hope everybody's taking notes because it's going to become very relevant to how in those same scientific institutions, they are censoring and silencing archeologists, historians, uh, like how many people have heard of Michael Cremo, unless you've watched shows like this, how many people are taught his theories in school that humanity has maybe millions of years of history on this planet. Um, and many, many others. So I guess what I'm saying is the world of science has become corralled by I think, you know, those who will not be named. And uh, here we are in all these different fields thinking that we're seeing the reality and people are building all their careers on it and teaching it in these universities when we could be missing the point on so many different subjects. So when Josh and I come up here and go, guys, what if there was an advanced civilization on Mars or what if uh, uh, humanity maybe was bred on Mars and maybe there's other species of human out in that solar system and out in that universe? Maybe we were bred on Mars. Maybe some of us were. Maybe there's all these maybes, but it's not as out of the box as you think. When you just think about it, we are here on this planet right now and we know we have other planets. Do you really think that this is such a far stretch when you take all this data in? That doesn't confirm every little point, but it does start to add the layers that will help you be able to think about all this stuff a little bit more clearly, in my opinion.
2: Right, and and it also brings about the aspect that We all know something happened to humanity in the past. There is some type of major cataclysmic event that happened in the past to humanity. And humanity right now is living with a form of, um, you know, PTSD or psychological amnesia. um, And that a lot of this information of what happened in the past has been hidden. Um, We had a great guest on um, last night on Conversation in the Fringe, Brad Olson. And he talked about he's actually been to Antarctica. Um, In Mm. in the sense of a research, and he's talking about uh, what what the government's called the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria, these three massively large um, alien spacecraft that are buried in the ice. And like this is no joke, like there's pictures of them and like you can see them embedded and coming out of the ice. And this is where all the research facilities are going, that the German bases knew about them and the Germans were down there uh, basically trying to reverse engineer these things. Um, and it brings this idea that what if there wasn't a major cataclysm like Velikovsky might have proposed or um, some type of cosmic uh, cataclysm in the sense of an asteroid or something like that smacking earth. But instead, what if it was a war? And, and do we have record of wars on this planet? We You were just showing at, on, on Mars Secrets that there is, there's evidence, the support that Mars suffered some type of nuclear disaster. Well, not only that, there's evidence and support that in the distant past, Earth has suffered nuclear disaster 30,000 years ago, 15,000 years ago. We have the, um, the, the glass that forms in the deserts that has uh, uh, given the presence of, of very, very high heat that is formulated in, in the Middle East, right? We, we've had uh, books like the Maratha Bharata, the Rig Veda, that talk about massive weapons of light and fire. That were utilized on earth we have oppenheimer talking after you know the uh the dropping of the atom bomb on uh hiroshima, hiroshima and nagasaki um doing the quote of, of vishnu and you know a lot of people claim that they got the idea from the nuclear bomb from the vedic mythology so, it was even
1: quoted by, uh, uh, what's his name, when he announced, you know, I have become death. No, dead. that's Oppenheimer. Yeah, Oppenheimer, yeah, when he was reading from it, the Mahabharata, right?
2: That's right. i become death destroyers of worlds. And we have to take this stuff, not in a literal context as the story is told, but maybe pull from it, the actual truth, is that what if humanity is in the spot that they're in today because there was a major war? And look at look at popular culture. Do we have movies? that show a similar context? Do we have movies and shows that show some type of similar story? Uh, Absolutely, I can name two right now off the top of my head. I can name the last last series of Battlestar Galactica, which came out in 2007, 2008. If anybody has not watched it, I highly recommend you do. Um, It is mind blowing how it ends the the ninth seat the ninth season, and then we just had this one show, The Expanse, on Pro- uh, Amazon Prime, started on the Sci Fi Channel, of where you have planet Earth inhabited, you have Mars inhabited. It's in in the future, and then you have what's called the Belters, and the Belters have lived in in space for hundreds of years, building and mining and all these things, and they revolt against Mars and Earth, but Mars and Earth have been a continuous war with each other, and so there is this parallel that this could have been that. And we know that in the ancient history, humanity was way more technologically developed, way more spiritually developed. Uh, Michael Cremo, you just mentioned him. He's yeah. showing this, that you know, 1.5 billion years ago, we're finding things that look like machinery embedded in rock. And by the way, he's going to be on my show, uh, Conversation on the Fringe, in June.
1: Oh, great. He's awesome. I've spoken to him a bunch. We had him at a few events. He's, he's just great. He's got an amazing treasure trove of information. It'll just blow your mind.
2: Be his third time on the show. So he's
1: awesome. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, that what you're bringing up is key. And this again is just, it's, It's okay, guys, to speculate about this stuff and think about it. And then you start getting in and you realize, oh my God, there's a lot more evidence that there's, what we can show you is the smoke. I can't fly you up there and show you, but we can show you all the smoke and where there's smoke, there's fire of some kind. Um, But I just wanted to, as you were talking about that, and as I'm showing pictures from NASA and all this, I just wanted to highlight a point. I brought it up in the intro video for this thing. I just asked a question after showing Buzz Aldrin talking about a little artifact that's on... The, the moon that's flying around Mars. And of course, we're showing the fact that there could be artifacts on Mars itself. I mean, there's artifacts on this planet we can't explain, so think about it. But then I asked, I put this question up there. What if they have to tell us the truth? Mm. Just like in the movies, in the thing. And this is something that's really, really key. Um, I got into this with Michael on a recent show about the how the ritual magic cults work and how the, one of the age-old cardinal rules was that you have to show your victim how you are going to kill them or you have to show your your target how you what why what you're doing you have to show them the truth they these cults this is just what they believe according to um, michael's research my research and many many others who've looked into it i've even spoken to people that have come out of some of these satanic cults and whatnot and they'll tell you the same thing that they have to tell you the truth they can't full-on lie they can lie but they have to lie in context, and they can't lie about the necessarily the premise of a thing. They do have to reveal it. They can tell you two stories at once. They can tell you the truth and a lie, but the truth has to be present. And there's two reasons for that. One, in my opinion, and, and based on what you can read in their own literature, is that they have a belief in a karmic law that they have to disclose the truth as they are deceiving. That's just part of the ritual, Okay. Um, the other element, even just on a practical sense, is that this is part of the process of mind control. And there's also maybe even a sick pleasure that you could bring into it, like the Zodiac Killer or Ted Bundy or whatever, telling the victims what they're going to do, showing, telling the detectives how they dismembered their victims and whatnot. And so you think about it, if there is this elite power control structure uh, that has been on this planet, I think from back from the egyptian pharaohs before all the way up till now a lot of these elite circles secret societies etc telling you in their symbolism that we pay homage to the ancient gods the ancient symbols we have our own beliefs but we will tell you the truth you just have to know how to read the symbolism and understand it they just won't tell you directly to your face they'll lie to your face while telling you the truth and i just thought about bringing that element in as everybody starts to jump up and go nasa lies You can't trust a single thing coming out of NASA. Buzz Aldrin, he's a Mason. They put him on the moon. He's a puppet. They told him to lie. They mind control them. And now everything he says is bullshit. You can't trust anything these people say. And hey, you're totally free to believe that. But I think a much more intelligent researcher is going to look in and go, all right, I'm going to hear out what you're saying and I'm going to try to validate it through my own research and intuition. And then I'm going to look at multiple ways that we have been told other things. So outside of the whole Mars, uh, out of the universe stuff, other things have been whistleblown in movies, in musical lyrics, in art, um, you know, for for as far back as you can go, where these people are telling you the truth and then they're lying to you. So what do you think about that, Josh? If people go, oh, you can't trust any of these NASA photos, they're all Photoshopped, because I want to remind people that a lot, NASA also subcontracts to multiple scientific fields and disciplines and to snowball all of these people simultaneously for decades upon decades upon decades. Um, Number one, factor in what I told you already. And number two, somebody would have checked them on it. You know what I mean? And maybe some have, but do you think that if we're looking at these things, and I know, I don't trust NASA, I think they're lying, but they can't tell you, they can't, 100% lie, they have to tell you the truth as well. And do you think that's part of it?
2: Yeah, so to kind of revisit what you just said, whatever the religion is in the sense, when you start getting into old school ritualistic magic, they absolutely have to tell you what they're going to do. And this is why we see it unfolding today with the narrative. It's they tell you this through media distribution. They tell you this through Hollywood, the old Druidics magician's wand, whatever it might be. Um, and this actually derives from the, the foundation of natural law, which is how consciousness interacts with reality in the sense of karmic affliction is that the, Natural law, if you if you conform the natural law, your magic will actually happen. And what happens is your karma becomes good, in a sense, because you're doing positive influence to benefit yourself and others in a positive way. But if you're outside of natural law, you have negative karma. You have karmic confliction or negative karma. Um, And what black magicians usually do is they influence the people in states of nescience and ignorance is people are ignorant to the laws and how they operate. They're going to continuously have bad things happen to them in life, poverty, whatever it might be. And so black magician or dark magician will utilize that ignorance to their own benefit, alleviating themselves of the karmic infliction, and instead imposes that karmic infliction on the person who's in ignorance or nescience. And the nescience is the most powerful aspect of this. This is someone who doesn't know what they don't know and are complete innocence of natural law. Um, but that has to be, that power for them has to be given to them by somebody with authority over that nescience. And that's usually a person in ignorance. Uh, that's a whole different show in itself of how magic works, but we have to know that they're that they're telling us. And I've always had this theory, David, That um, some of these people, I think, are pure evil. But a lot of them, I don't think they are. But I think that they realize that humanity is not ready for this information. Is that society has gotten so out of control with, you know, Facebook and Twitter and cell phones and, and wondering what gender identity they are. That they're not really ready to handle the true truth of our origins and our history and who we are. So what they do is they build these these symbols and movies and, and information. And they put it out to us and they say, if you're smart enough to figure it out, welcome to the club. And I truly do think that it's like the torch of knowledge, right? You know, the lips of wisdom are sealed to those who lack the ears of understanding. But if you have the eyes to see, then the knowledge will flow and the knowledge will come. And that's a lot what you and I do is we look at this stuff, but the context we have to take is that symbols are tools, words are tools, information is tools, that everything that they work with and that we work with are simply tools utilized for something. And we have to look at information in the same way. And we can't just initially depict that this is evil because these people use it for evil. And that's how a lot of this this one ideology out there that's really popular, I'm not going to name it right now, that's how a lot of them think is that just because it's associated with this, it's evil. And that's not necessarily the case. It's a tool. And knowledge is built upon these various tools of information which we can utilize for our benefit, or we can utilize for the benefit of others, or we can utilize to influence others for our own benefit. Um, And so I I think that we live in a world of deception, but the deception was originally created to protect us because of whatever it might have been. But uh, now it's utilized to rule us
1: think about what you just said. I could maybe put a point. I'm a parent, right? You're a parent. There's things I'm not going to tell my kid. Like when we were talking about all the COVID stuff, I didn't start telling my child, my kid about like the whole picture and child yeah. trafficking and all that. I didn't get into that. Cause I'm keeping them, their psyche could be traumatized to a point where they'll actually have issues after that. You know, you don't want to yeah. do that. So as a child in a childlike state, uh, you have to slowly bring people in. Even if I think of it in martial arts, if you walk in a dojo on day one, I can't bombard you with the whole big gigantic puzzle of jujitsu that's going to take you at least 12 years just to become competent at, right? Yep. Uh, you know, So you can't start at the end and you have to start people at the beginning and bring them up. And so I believe that there was a, a something michael was talking about was like this sort of war between the the white gulfs and the black gulfs or the the white uh the white magicians the black magicians um and there's been i think even in the high levels of all of these different institutions you can see it they all came out from within these groups and started telling humanity the truth um and i believe that there's been groups that have been trying to work for more of a benevolent purpose for humanity to help awaken humanity at a level that would actually be productive because otherwise they'll get lynched and and crucified for it. And it might even cause a negative effect to tell everybody the whole truth. I mean, what's the old thing. The truth is so crazy that 90 plus percent of people would be in the hospital if they got it all dumped on their lap. Think of the movie, the matrix, you know, he comes in, he can't even handle the basic premise of the matrix. He wants to throw up. He wants to get get me out of here. Uh, let alone what he has to learn through the rest of the th- series about just how bad it is, um, you know. And so I think humanity is kind of going through that, and that's why I put that Bob Dean clip in there, where he was talking about this, where he was saying, "There's a door to infinity that is, that can be open for humanity, but we're just not ready yet." And he said that back in like the early '90s. That's where I pulled that speech from. I'm not sure if I don't think he felt the same way close to his death. I think in many of his talks, he was saying, this is the time, you're ready, let's give everybody the truth. And he disagreed with the government in covering up the things that they did. Um, and so, yeah, I believe that the covering of information has two sides. One is the the dark side that just wants to manipulate it, manip- uh, take advantage of the traumatized psyche of humanity, take mm-hmm. advantage of our ignorance of the rea- of reality. But then there's the other side that it was doing it for benevolent reasons and just saying, we have to raise them up and teach them before they can reach those levels. Um, And then there's the Mavericks that just didn't care about any of that shit. And they came out and told us all kinds of stuff. And those are the people I love. So I just want to put that on the table for people. Yeah. You think what you want, but I think that's an important point to bring up.
2: I, I agree is that we have to, and guys understand that we're laying the foundation for this series is that information has been de- deceptive, has been suppressed. And that there are people on this planet who seek authoritative control, that there are massive amounts of information out there. But who, what do you really believe? You have to discern amongst it. Um, but when we start getting into a lot of this evidence that we're going to get into here in just a few minutes and in the prior series after this, the shows after this, um, approach it with an open mind. Utilize your own Mental faculties to break it down. Be discernible in the sense of the information. But most of all, understand that something happened. Something happened something. to humanity. And, and and whether it was a great war between planets where they both destroyed themselves. Or whether it was all here on planet Earth and the gods really did come down. <clears throat> for me, I've always looked at that, the, the stitching perspective, of it um, as a, a cop-out. I did. I've always looked at it as a cop out that we weren't good enough that we we had to be created by some other living being and species that we were this uh, this bastard child of some alien project. I just it, to me it looks like a cop out. It, it looks like an an extension of this trauma that humanity might have had after the perspective fall from Eden, right? And for me, that's hard to believe that uh, I don't, it's not that I don't believe it. It's just, it's very, very hard to believe that aspect of it. Because here's the thing, what happened to them? Where did they go? Why would they leave? Where, 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 where's everybody else in the, in the galactic neighborhood? It it doesn't make sense that all of a sudden it just all stops and disappears. Um, Unless what we were really talking about is another branch of humanity that lived on another planet And, uh, we battled with them because we wanted our freedom and sovereignty and we all destroyed each other.
1: There's a lot of points there. And I, I respect that. I mean, I have a different take where I look at it as it was both. And I think that humanity was on a natural evolutionary trend. Um, the idea of intervention does not discount a creator, uh, as you saw in those Giordano Bruno quotes, but Mm -hmm. what it does is actually make sense of a very simple reality. What are human beings? What are we doing right now in labs in DARPA to creatures of this planet by creating chimeric creatures, working with genetic experimentation, uh, altering natural life forms? To like look at your cat, your cat, if you have a cat that's you know, you, those are bred to be companions for humanity, you're not walking around with a lion in your living room, are you? Right? So, humanity itself. Has already altered genetically numerous species the dog breeding we've created entire new breeds of dogs for crying out loud and this was known a long time ago so my my reading of the intervention theory just for my for where i'm at is when you take in you know a lloyd pie and many of these others see i disagree with sitchin that this was a benevolent interference or or let's just put it like this it was only benevolent i think there was a, an element of it where just like if humanity saw, if we could get off planet, okay, and we jump in a bunch of spaceships and we start looking around the galaxy, what would humans start to do? We would start finding other planets with life on it, with primitive species on it. And if we weren't held in check by some prime directive of never interfere with an evolving species, we would go in there and take the resources, probably, you know, start tinkering around, altering them. And we would create a species that would actually help us mine the resources. Maybe they would, what if we fled our planet because our genetic our genetics were getting destroyed from too much of this, all the stuff that we've been doing, all this uh, snake venom everywhere, our genetic gain-of-function research, or our, you know, we started blowing our genetics out of the water. So then we had to go somewhere else. We saw, oh, there's a young primitive species over there that worships us as gods, and they have the genetic codes and the, the blood and the resources that we need. So we're going to farm that, take it, and then create these chim- and upgrade our own DNA. So there's a few readings of it. There. I can see that possibility. Yeah. And Yeah. That makes it more real. So I'm more of like, there was probably planetary cosmic, uh, or what do you call it? Uh, asteroids and, and catastrophes that started these traumas, but a lot of the stuff doesn't fully get explained by it. So I think that happened, but I also think just as a speculative theory that we were visited by maybe a Vulcan like race that didn't look as far out as the movies make it you know, that all these crazy looking creatures or whatever, I don't think it's as far out as we think. Think of, that's why I tell people, just think of what of the possibility of just like a country will go into another country and enslave and take over and, you know, and pillage. Why wouldn't another country planetary system, maybe they were fleeing disaster. Maybe they were the criminals of their own planetary, uh, their own planet. And they came here and they went, Oh, look at this gem we're here. These guys worship us like gods. They think we're, you know, so let's, let's take advantage. And then maybe other groups have come and said, Hey, what are you guys doing? You know, you're, uh, let's, let's be more benevolent. Let's help them grow. Let's help them evolve to become like us. And you see these discussions, by the way, in a lot of the Greek mythos and a lot of the ancient myths and legends. So that's where I differ on that. But I think that again, we don't know pulling all these things in is really interesting and then either way, you could also scratch the whole alien thing and just realize, well, whoever built Pumapuku, Machu Picchu, you know, Kaleiza Temple, the t- the pyramids, the whole thing had far more sophisticated advanced technology and knowledge than we can even imagine because lo and behold, here we are and we haven't recreated any of that stuff, nor could we, yeah. you know, so there's a few different ways to go with it, um, but that's good that we put on the table, guys, that you're just thinking in a slightly different way to look at all this and, you know, let us know your thoughts. But real quick on the Tiamat thing, I had a couple quotes to pop up just again to get people's wheels turning. I'll just run through this quick and Josh, jump in at any point if something hits mm-hmm. you. So this one is from Joan D'Arc uh, from the book The Late Great Planet Tiamat. She says, according to the harmonic rule known as Bode's Law, a planet should exist between Mars and Jupiter some 260 million miles from the sun. Beginning in 1801, tiny rock and metallic objects were discovered to be orbiting the sun at about this distance. Since then, several hundred thousand large asteroids have been cataloged. It had either it had earlier become evident that much of the material of this missing planet had been pulled into the orbits of the Earth, Mars, and Jupiter as either meteors or orbiting satellites. So there's a whole book there that people can look at just to get into the Tiamat theory and just learn it and then let's see if any of those points that are made correspond to a Mars connection, right? And then the next one is from Alan and Delaire from Cataclysm. I highly recommend this book. It's amazing. They say, if we elevate the moon to planetary status, as the Sumerians appear to have done, then we have a total of 10 planets orbiting the sun today. On this basis, one planet is still currently missing from the earlier Sumerian total. Could there really have been another planet known to the Sumerians as yet unknown to us or has been lost since their day? So again, they're just asking questions. And I know this is what I love is that good questions that you sit back and go, that's a good point. That's what gets, that's what woke me up. That's what got me curious, right? Doesn't mean there's an answer, but what it does tell you is there's a mystery to be solved. So stop listening to the people that are on your television or at the front of your class in university that are telling you, guys, there's no more mysteries. We've got it all figured out, all us academics. And we're going to teach it to you little peons and tell you how reality works. Get that out of your head. This type of study means that no, there is nothing but mystery. And let's go try to figure it out, even if we don't get it all right. It's all good. I'm going to run through these quick, Josh, but jump in anytime. This one here is just a few little anecdotal points. This is from my notes. Uh, on Mars. And this one is just, in 1877, the Italian astronomer Giovanni Schiaparelli observed a network of crisscrossing single and double lines, as well as artificial looking grooves on the Martian surface. So this is 1877. Astronomers were already talking about some of the weird anomalies that they were just seeing through their telescopes when they were looking at the surface of Mars. I thought that was interesting. And then there's actually a book, it's written in French, but it's um, you can get an English translated version somewhere on the internet, I'm sure. In 1892, the French writer Camille Flammarion wrote a book entitled La Planète Mars, where he, oh sorry, is a male, <laughs> where he states that Mars could have been inhabited by humans far more advanced than Earth humans based on these and other similar observations that to him indicated a planetary wide circulation system so they were already speculating on this stuff in the 18 late 1800s and I just thought wow that's just again fascinating little anecdotes to go and chase up and then this is where we kind of drop the bomb uh excuse the pun of John Brandenburg's um theory and I Josh this is a gentleman I'd love to try to get a hold of to bring on just to pick his brain because his His background, if you go read his bio, it'll blow your mind who's coming to this conclusion. All right. It's very interesting. And this is basically the evidence of ancient nuclear explosions on Mars. And he looks at the the Mars moon rocks and the dust and the photos and he puts it all together. And he's saying this shouldn't be there is what he's saying. He's like, you've got his background as theoretical plasma physicist, but he also has degrees in nuclear physics, all kinds of stuff, astronomy. The guy's a genius. So he says, this is just a sketch. There is actually now evidence coming out now that Mars may have suffered some sort of airborne atomic explosion that may have wiped out the planet. Mars has a high concentration of the gas isotope xenon 129 in its atmosphere. Xenon 129 is produced by nuclear reactions. The surface of the red planet also has an excess of uranium and thorium. And some people challenged his paper and said, Oh, it's, there's some kind of natural nuclear reactor on Mars. That's the only way to explain all of this. And I just watched a two hour video of him totally decimating that argument, uh, or at least according to his perspective. I, I don't know, but it was really impressive. So I want to chase this up and see if Dr. Brandenburg would come on. Uh, cause awesome. I think that's a, just think about that, like a fascinating theory of what the hell are evidence of nuclear explosions or some kind of weapon like that doing on the surface of Mars. And he doesn't think it's like, Oh, a few little signatures here. It's the mass of abundance of what they're pulling out of these, uh, this evidence from Mars, these rocks, et cetera. So yeah, do you, you, you know who Brandenburg is, eh? Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's just the sketch. I think he would be fascinating. I've always been interested in like, wow, that's that's a pretty interesting little thread to follow. And then, oh, do you have a point there? Nope. Go ahead. Okay. Really quickly. This is uh, just again, kind of circle back to Emmanuel Velikovsky and just some of the observations that he made. Um, and just so people can understand where he was coming from, just to summarize his theory. So according to Emanuel Velikovsky's work, Somewhere in the 8th century BC, the Venus comet pushed Mars out of its proper orbit and into a close encounter with Earth. This is what Joshua is breaking down in the middle. This caused earthquakes to shake the world. And he says, both the poles shook, wrote one observer at around 747 BC. And Atlas, who according to legend carried the Earth on his back, shifted the burden of the sky. The sun vanished and rising clouds obscured the heavens. The year shortened and ancient astrologers were forced to develop a new calendar and this was where he came from and shook the scientific world they're like hey, he's a quack but then you go back in the ancient myths and legends and you just really start to go why are they why are they look at the Mahabharata, the bhagavad gita the the what is it this some of these ancient writings the text and they're talking about like you know fire raining down from the sky and um you know mountains being formed in front of their eyes and Uh, hair and fingernails falling right off of the people that were in front of the weapon of, of Krishna or whatever. Like it's just, it's stuff out of science fiction. And I actually think a lot of that is how science fiction was written. It comes from the ancient myths. Um, And so, yeah, so that's, those are the slides that I wanted to show, but anything that uh, struck your, struck your brain on those, Josh?
2: Yeah, It's telling us that there's more to this story that, Mars, I think, plays a more significant role in the evolution of humanity than we ever imagined. Now, Velikovsky even said that, well, you know, one of the problems here with Velikovsky, by the way, is that Venus, the comet Venus, pushed Mars into a closer approximation with Earth. Uh, the, the problem with that is how does the planetary balance rebalance itself? Or if it, in in the sense of that approximation, which is what three point six or thirty six point two million years away, or a light not layers thirty two million miles away, or whatever it is that Mars is away from Earth, um, if Mars was pushed into its current position does that really affect Earth gravitationally? Because that's really the only way it would have affected Earth gravitationally. Um, There would have to be a close proximity for Velikovsky to have been right, but then how does Mars get back to its original position? I mean, what moves it back? Um, Maybe, maybe what we are actually seeing here is maybe Mars was a moon around another planet that was destroyed by the comet Venus. Hmm. That the actual planet Mars was a moon around this massive planet or a different planet, right? Or maybe it was a dual planetary system. I don't know. But we don't know because we don't have the research. We know Circus is out there, right? The the, the asteroid belt. And that that is, it's about, uh, I think it's about 30, 30 to 40 million miles away from Mars. Um, and it would give rise that, look. look, this potentially could have been a massive planet that had moons that had harboring life. And that would actually make sense for that distance from the sun that the moon would be the one that harbored life Mars, for instance, because it would have to be closer to a planet to have some type of of heat generating system because it is star- still far out from the sun. If we want to call it a, a life bearing planet, uh, kind of like uh, what is the the one the, the Ewoks planet in Star Wars, right? Um, mm but I don't know. I mean, the question is: is uh, I know I know Bode's law. I've I've read into this before. I know that there is supposedly supposed to be a tenth planet or a planet that. W- what you have to actually have to make up for Bode's law is the mass, and in, in the sense of the right. configuration, right? The mass and the energy and the configuration of that, and how that bodes on a resonant harmonic scale. I um, mean, if we looked at everything in a note structure, there's something missing. But the the galaxy has obviously um rebalanced since that point in time um
1: yeah how it did or what was involved or what the details of that i'm sure velika i mean like i have to still get my brain into the the theory and really dive in but what i love about it is it's one of those things that just kind of hits you in the face and asks these questions that even the scientists of the day were like trying to run away from and kind of yeah. hide, walk out of the room and be like, okay, but you know, now here we are. And this is why I'd love to bring on some experts that are very like, maybe we could find a Velikovsky guy who knows it inside. And I just go asking these questions. What do you think, uh, or, or have there been groups that have evolved it from his research point? Um, you know, uh, and then also not even just relying on one man, obviously, but taking in multiple theories, about how all of all this could have been. But I hope everybody's kind of getting the picture. What we The whole point of bringing all these points out is to at least show you a few little indications that start in the ancient myths and legends and come right up to the present day. And you really start to go, we've got more questions about our solar system and our planet than we do answers. Yet science and religion both love to pretend that they have all the answers. And so at the very least, we're just here to say, no, you guys are missing a lot and you're probably hiding a lot. So it's up to us to try to tease it all out. But speaking of of life on Mars, there's a couple interesting articles. I know they're mainstream, but it's just interesting that they're even putting this stuff out. And they've been putting it out for a long time where, you know, you've got this one from The Sun that's talking about, you know, these scientists and they're just covering these scientific papers that get written and these guys throw their theories out there. You know, we are all Martians. Life came from Mars and was carried to Earth on an asteroid, scientists claim. And this is, of course, the whole, they're breaking down the panspermia theory, which right. you know is very interesting that sort of like the elements of life came, to, came from Mars and then they're going to go into the whole evolutionary primordial magic soup hit by a lightning bolt that suddenly magically assembled through random chance um, a perfect uh, Boeing 747 in terms of what the human is. But either way, it's an interesting thing that they're even admitting that. They're saying, There's a connection between Mars and the planet. And, uh, you know, this is astronomer Caleb Scharf. He says, we can find pieces of Mars here on Earth, and we suspect that there are pieces of Earth on Mars. Hmm. How interesting is that when you take into the wars of the heavens that are recorded in all these ancient legends? And then real quick, I got one more article to pop up. Um, This is just another, you know, I think actually, you know what? This is probably, it's 2013. Yeah, it's probably citing the exact same study or maybe another one of its kind. But you will, there's, a, there's a lot of this where you're going to see it coming out. It's been coming out for, say, the past, especially the last 10 years, where there's all these scientific papers where they're, they're starting to speculate. Whereas in Richard Hoagland's day, when he was going on the circuit and all those types of guys that were talking about Mars and really brought Mars to the collective consciousness... None of the scientists, none of the scientists would even want to talk to the guy. Like nope. it was like you're so crazy. It's not even possible. Mars is just some dead planet. There's a rock flying around in space. What are you doing? But now look at here we are. This is 2013. They start the process of speculating about. There's another one from NASA actually where they were saying in 2015 that they found water on Mars and they believe that that is a sign that at one time Mars was a planet that could harbor life, and they still believe. That there are elements of life, especially not on the surface, maybe, but in inside the planet, like in those, uh, like underground, you're gonna find. They believe in the mi- microbial life, and then when you go listen to like some of these crazy interviews, who knows where they're saying? No, no, man, there's already secret soldier programs on Mars. We go into an
2: elevator and suddenly yeah. we're on Mars. I mean, that's just. It's hard to believe it's a fun Friday night, but who knows, right? So, I had Lynn Buchanan. If anybody doesn't know Lynn Buchanan, he was a, a member of the Stargate project with the Central Intelligence Agency in the, in the U.S. Army. This was the remote viewing project that uh, Hal put off and uh, Russell Targ worked on, um, and also a guy by the name of Ingo Swan. Uh, Lynn Buchanan was good friends with Ingo Swan, became an instructor under the remote viewing project in the late 1980s under Ingo Swan. Um, and after he retired from the army in the late 1990s, they were hired by somebody that he could not disclose to us. Um, probably three letter agency or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And and me by the way, is one of the most honest men I've ever met in my life. The guy cannot tell a lie. Um, and he said that they were hired to, to remote view a, an anonymous target. So they had no prior information of this target. And um they, saw a thriving metropolis underground and it was humans humans and it was an advanced highly advanced civilization and um, after they did the reading right uh, the remote viewing they came back and said well what was the target and they came back and said it was mars a million years ago really yeah and I don't know, remote viewers, man, they have like that 86 to 90% accuracy.
1: Well, and that's, a, that is an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. Is that if we go, Hey, there's some real viewers that saw this. A lot of people out there will be like, what the hell is remote viewing? Is that some psyche? we can't rely on that. And I get it. I understand. But your government put millions of dollars into those programs and relied on the information does. given to them and still the, oh and it's way beyond uh, that project's project Stargate by now. Um, but they have lots of information. And what does that information tell us? It tells us that the human mind or whatever it is that produces our thoughts, uh, the brain, of course, just being the conduit has the ability to, uh, exceed the typical boundaries of Newtonian physics. Uh, whereas obviously your physical body might be in a 3d sort of interactive mode, but your consciousness has the ability to travel and gather accurate information um, this gets into the whole out-of-body research and the uh, past life regression and, and all that. I mean, I know it sounds all sci-fi, but there are elements of truth in it. And when you get into remote viewing, there's a lot of great documentation on it. And again, they uh, they were there was an event... Uh, I'm trying to remember when it was. There's a good documentary about this where they were in a military situation where there was hostages being taken in another country. And from the United States, they relied on the information given by remote viewers to go in and surgically take down the people yep. holding the hostages. And it actually worked out. And it's like, wow. So if they and I know Ingel Swan even had some weird things, interesting things to say about Mars and the solar system. And it just makes you think, you know, if the government put money into it and they relied on that information, is it really as far out as the average person might think?
2: Yeah. And, and you know, remote viewing is a tool. And when we start looking at the various different tools, um, what what comes out of them? And I think when we start looking at the work of a lot of remote viewers, we're going to see some very, very interesting things, especially when it pertains to. Ancient history. Now, next episode, I'm going to talk about. You talk about uh, hyp- hypnosis sessions. I did a life between life hypnosis session. This is where they take you to your last life, they take you to the point of death. And then when you die in that last life, they take you in between those lives and they ask you what's happening and you model and record what is going on. Um, and I had a very, very interesting experience with mine. And it has a little bit to do with what I would call Mars and maybe with everything that's happened to do here. And it's a story I've never told. In front of an audience but I'll, I'll be willing to share it then so it'd be uh it'd be interesting i mean I, this, this series is going to evolve as we go forth we're going to bring ahead you know the next uh the next uh episodes we're going to be looking at a lot of the evidence we're going to be looking at monoliths on mars or protect uh, suspected we're going to be looking at uh, sacred geometry we're going to try to bring in people like richard hoagland i'm we're trying to get a hold of him right now um and, and a few other people that are experts on these monoliths on these various topics And uh yeah, this will this will be interesting. This is gonna be really I'm excited about the series.
1: Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Um yeah, this this episode, guys, we just kind of wanted to set the table, show you a couple things we're thinking of, and then I'm looking forward to getting your comments and going down into the depths of all my research notes, which I have so many, because my story with this was that when I was doing back and forth with ancient aliens, they did a show I think called Return to Mars. And it was about Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. And when they asked me to go and interview for that show. It was literally the show I was so excited about because I had all these notes and all these books. And I'm like, yeah, I'll come and talk about that. So they brought me down, interviewed me for like four hours. I gave them killer information. And then when they sold it to History Channel, they decided to go with some other guys. And I didn't even make it into that episode. I was like, oh my God, it was the one that I was like the most interested in at that time. So I saved all the notes and I hadn't really looked at it because I've been distracted. And so this series is going to give me the opportunity and you, Josh, for us to just come here and go let's just dump all the files on the table and see if we can't make a coherent picture and let's then yes it. we're looking for guests if anybody ends up uh, look we're gonna i have a list of people i could bring on multiple subjects that are related to this and then when we start bringing in the moon element i've got so much stuff on that uh it's one of the most fascinating objects in the sky and the most mysterious oh, and wait. it has a secret influence on this planet and there's all kinds of cool stuff with that so Guys, we're going to wrap it there for today. Just a little intro. We hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned here. Uh, Follow us on our social media. Uh, Josh, remind everybody all of your chans and where they can get all your stuff as well.
2: Yeah, redpills.tv is the place to to find us at. Uh, If you can't find us there, you can check us out at redpillpodcasts.com. And uh, yeah, we look forward to doing this again. This is awesome. I love it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I hope you enjoyed it, guys. Hope you're excited. And uh, let's go and research this rabbit hole together and see if we can't find a connection between our planet, Mars, the moon, what's really going on in this universe, what's really going on in this planet, what's the true origins of humanity. Let's put it on the table and see what we can find out. You can follow me, dwtruthware.com. Check out my new documentary series, Cult of the Medics, exposing the ancient occult roots of the medical industrial complex. And please go sign up at unslaved.com for a masterclass on all these subjects and more. um, And we'll catch everybody here again real soon. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Josh. Let's do this again sometime. Cheers, everybody.